0: to James chapter 2. We'll read the chapter, we take as our text the first verse. We hear the inspired word of God. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring, in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool, are ye not then partial in yourselves? and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you, and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. We read that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. As I stated, verse 1 is our text for the sermon this evening. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ, this evening we made confession of our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. And as we did so, we acknowledged with our lips and from the heart our commitment to the Catholic Church, that is the one universal church that's found throughout the world. God chose to himself a people out of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and he sacrificed his own son for the salvation of that entire glorious church. He accomplished everything that was necessary to save her. We go away from the table with a renewed sense of our own unworthiness and a renewed sense of awe with regard to the greatness of the love of God in Jesus Christ. And that knowledge moves us to live in a manner that reflects God's love toward us, as we show that love one toward another. As, Jesus, or as James here summarizes, really, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's no place for looking down on others. There's no place for pride in our lives. Not in the body of Christ, but not only even with regard to those around us. There's no place for racism or class system in our thoughts or in our actions. God looked upon us in mercy, and as a result, He chose us apart from anything of ourselves. We owe our all to him. It's easy to make a confession that I believe in Holy Catholic Church with very little thought. Far more challenging it is to live it. We have all nations represented around us in America. Some years ago when living in Sioux Falls, I remember someone telling me that in the John Morrell factory now the Smithfield factory there was over a hundred languages represented in that factory alone even here in rural America in Hall Rock Valley we have our neighborhoods becoming increasingly diverse how do we interact with these people that look different perhaps that act different from ourselves there are many ways that this text here speaks to us this evening First, there are times when strangers may visit, or may visit our worship services. How is it that we interact with these individuals? Do we show them the kindness, the care that James here describes or not? Secondly, we have family members. How is it that we treat our family members? What criteria do we establish that controls our association with family members and our befriending of them? Do we walk in pride? Or are we walking in humility? But then finally we have a congregation here in this place that represents the body of Christ. How do we interact with one another? On what basis do we initiate fellowship with each other? Are we inclined to allow wealth or social standing to affect our interaction with various members? these are questions that we have to ask and where there are sins we need to acknowledge them and we need to confess them as those who know the marvelous mercy and grace of God our desire is to live as those who show forth the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory we know walking in faith without respect of persons note first what this respect of persons involves secondly the seriousness of the sin and finally the walk in true faith. My brethren have not the faith. James here is appealing to you and to I with regard to who we are by the marvelous grace of God. We are brethren, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Those whom God has taken and made members of Jesus Christ and as such, members of his body. And as we have been given that gift of faith, and as we live now out of the gospel of salvation, the result is that spiritually we're on the same level. There is no difference between Jew, Gentile, between male and female with regard to bond or poor or rich or any other class distinction within the body of Jesus Christ. God works a wonder by which the power of his grace makes it so that all his saints are put on the same level spiritually. None are better spiritually than others. All are unworthy and all now are shown the marvelous wonder of his grace in Jesus Christ. All are sinners saved by grace. Having tasted that grace, having tasted that mercy, knowing the experience of it, how do we interact? How do we show that by our walk and our conduct? We were reminded of that this morning. God did not reserve his grace and his favor for those who had attained certain levels of prominence or those who would do more or have more influence for the sake of him and for the sake of his kingdom. God did not reserve his love for those who would fulfill certain conditions, perform some deeds. God showed his mercy and his grace toward those who were undeserving. It was unconditional, gracious. And as such then, God is no respecter of persons. That's a powerful point that God makes known throughout all of history. God is not a respecter of persons. God does not pick some because they were better than others or because they were more worthy. Every last one whom God sets His love upon was unworthy, undeserving. And yet God chose them and God brought them into His fold. And again and again we read in Scripture God demonstrating that and humbling his church, taking sinners like Rahab, individuals like Tamar, and incorporating them into the line of Jesus Christ so that the lineage of Jesus Christ counts those sinful women as part of it. What did Jesus do when he came to earth? Jesus came to dine with publicans and with sinners, creating fury among the Pharisees, And it's the Pharisees especially that James here is condemning, and that Pharisee spirit. I've done something to make myself worthy. After all, look at my lineage. Look at my heritage. Look at all the faithfulness that's evident in my generations. Look at how diligent I've been through the years that I've been mature Christian. Look at everything that I've accomplished. A pride that begins to set in. And so God comes to us, as he did to the early church during the time of James, and he says, knowing that you are brethren, that you have been given the gift of faith, why are you acting in this manner? Why are you playing favorites? Why are you esteeming yourselves in pride? Why would you look down on others when you know who you are, and you know the wonder of the grace by which you have been saved and delivered? They were being respecters of persons. From the tense of the verb here, we know that James is not speaking of something that was abstract. This was happening currently among the congregation that he's engaged in. In the present moment, there were those who were engaged in this kind of activity. And so that he says, stop having respect unto persons. God knows that that same sin is present in our hearts and in our congregation. And the Spirit comes to us with that same admonition. Stop having respect of persons. Now what does that involve? The word that's used here for respect of persons is a compound word. That is, it's two words that are combined together. And the two words are face and receiving. So, that the idea here is that you receive someone because of their face. That's the picture that's used. You accept or you reject individuals based on their outward appearance or based on something of them, so that their face is that which determines whether or not you're going to receive them. And so, various factors may enter in their social standing how wealthy they are what they have to contribute to you how they might be of benefit to you so that as you interact with others you're making a distinction and you're making a decision you're rejecting some you're accepting others and what is the criteria it has to do with them and what they have to offer perhaps to you so that we're making a judgment based on the outside That person doesn't work as hard as I do. Therefore, I'm going to look down on that one. That one seems to be more lazy. That one is because of his or her family connections, not someone that I really want to associate with. We think of ourselves higher than others due to certain circumstances now that we're witnessing with regard to their outward circumstance of life. And we think we're better then. We interact only with those, perhaps, that can enhance our own lives. So that we're living in a very selfish way then. We have fellowship, we have communion with some, but it's only, what can those individuals do for me? How can they benefit my social standing? How can they benefit my situation in the church of Jesus Christ? And so, so long as they can benefit me somehow, so long as they can benefit and enhance my life, I enjoy fellowship. But I pass it up with others who are not able to rise to that level. What happens here? First, we're forming then an opinion with regard to others based on our impression, perhaps even a first impression. And then we judge them quickly on the basis of their outward conduct and their outward appearance. Then on the basis of that judgment, we proceed now to treat them in a certain way if our observation is positive we treat them in a good way if it's negative we treat them in a manner that we don't have much to do with them or we avoid them we don't offer to all the same things that we would offer to some and so we're elevating some we're viewing others beneath us we're viewing ourselves perhaps as those who are more holy more faithful, more righteous than others. Because after all, that one has sins in his or her past. Or that one's committed some grievous sin that I'm aware of. Even though they repented, I'm not forgetting. I remember. And now I address them with the spirit then of being a respecter of persons. There's a snobbery that's involved in this. Some putting their noses in the air acting as though they're better than others, only seeing certain individuals in their lives. Others are only going to perhaps interact with some. They're only going to invite some in their homes, not others. Sometimes as young people we can feel this perhaps, we go to Young People's Convention and it seems as though those who are from a certain school or a certain church or a certain area just seem to act and to walk in a manner that They act like they're better than us. They're higher than us. They're not going to interact with us. This happens at school. And sometimes classmates then can be shunned. And perhaps it's because of the clothes they're wearing. Perhaps it's because of the manner in which they're conducting themselves. It may be from the homes that they come from that's making the distinction. Untold hurt, untold grief is caused by our sinful respect of persons. And that favoritism then begins to control and to govern our lives. James explains it very concretely here in verses 2 and following, and he says in connection with worship, two people come into the sanctuary as visitors to church. One is dressed nicely, obviously is well off. The other is dressed very shabby and very poor, dressed in rags. Immediately, there's all kinds of people talking with the wealthy one. They're eager to offer him a place, give him their seat, sit next to him, make him feel very welcome in the congregation. Whereas the other one, who's not well off, who's poor, is snubbed. People aren't spending time with him. They're not talking with that one. They don't offer him their seat. And perhaps they hope that he'll leave. They don't want someone like that in church. Perhaps he smells, doesn't look good. We don't need someone like that here. And therefore, they send him to sit somewhere lowly, somewhere hoping then that he'll get the sense that he's really not wanted here in this place. Beloved, does that sound familiar? And not only can that be sometimes the way in which we treat strangers, but tragically, can be our tendency also toward those who are fellow believers. Do they have the right clothes? Are they buying them in the places that we would buy them? Are they in our same economic and social standing? Do they enjoy the same kind of activities that we enjoy? These people may be members with us of the same church, but due to the fact that they're not like us, we're going to withhold our fellowship from them. And perhaps we view ourselves as more highly than they. Now we all understand there's a place for closer friendships with some. That's not what James here is talking about. There is a natural tendency where some with likes that are more in common are going to spend more time one with another. But James here is talking about deliberate withholding of fellowship because someone does not meet our standards. And that can be especially true with someone perhaps who is poor, someone who is widowed, maybe it's someone who is divorced. Individuals who occupy a place in the congregation that they themselves already are feeling somewhat ostracized, somewhat alone. And now, the other members of the congregation, rather than embracing them, contribute to that feeling. We're partial in ourselves. And this means, ultimately, we're selfish. We're really just interested in what we want. And we're constantly concerned about ourselves. And that shows itself then in our interactions and activity with others. How can this person help me? How can this person advance me? How will this person make me look better? How will this person serve to my advantage? We're not taking a proper approach to the manner in which we are called to deal one with another. Christ calls us to love. And what does love mean? To give of ourselves. To be willing to serve. Not to look at what we can get. As we go through life, we are taught to ask these kind of questions in the job place, at work, in business. How are we going to get promotions? If we hang with the right people, perhaps we can get promotions. If we are able to Hang with the wrong people we're probably not going to be. We're going to be passed up. And so what can I get out of this situation or this circumstance? James says these are the wrong questions to be asking as Christians. Are you not partial, he says in verse 4. And there's no answer required. They know the answer. We know the answer. Now this isn't talking about proper respect. We understand that there's a place for proper respect. Respect that showed toward age, toward those whom God puts in positions of responsibility. But this is a selfish esteem for personal gain. Am I being a respecter of persons? Now the seriousness of this sin is set forth here. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. James is talking here about the faith of Jesus Christ and the way in which that faith is demonstrated and expressed. Ultimately, what James is saying is this, this isn't the way that Jesus conducted himself. If Jesus had conducted himself in this manner, we'd all be doomed to everlasting destruction in hell. Jesus did not treat his children in this manner. Jesus did not come to this earth in order to find out what he could get and how these people could serve him and how he could benefit them from them. He came to give of himself for the sake of those who were walking as enemies. And Jesus treated all of his own equally. A respecter of persons is not the way that true faith behaves. If you're walking as a respecter of persons, you're walking contrary to true faith. The one who's walking in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ is not looking at the color of skin, is not looking at social prominence, is not looking for any kind of benefit personally. That one is walking in love, love toward the neighbor, even as he knows and experiences the love of God. The central concern of Jesus Christ as he came down to earth was that he might pursue the will of his heavenly Father and that he would save all those whom the Father gave him. And as he lived and as he walked out of that spiritual love, he conducted himself in a manner that reflected that honor and that glory of God. He saw true glory as that which was found in Jehovah God. And that was the glory that he was interested in. He did not come to try to find how individuals could benefit him on earth so that somehow he could be more prominent. He knew what glory was. And his pursuit was that glory that was the glory of the Father. Jesus Christ as the Lord of glory has given us to know what glory is. He's embraced us in love and he's exalted us and esteemed us to a glory that nothing on this earth can compare to. And as recipients of that glory, he directs our focus to it. Don't be distracted by the things of this life, those things that are meaningless and insignificant. You know the Lord of glory. Jesus was willing to be mocked, willing to be ridiculed because of his pursuit, for God's glory. He showed compassion toward the poor. He was willing to uplift the downtrodden. He was willing to dine with publicans and with sinners. And he was mocked. He was ridiculed. He wasn't ashamed to sit down with them. He was even willing to state, those who are guilty of serious sins are going to be more thankful because they've been forgiven more. And so while the disciples even, and while those with whom Jesus was interacting were looking down on some and despising others, Jesus was conducting himself with the pursuit of the glory of his Father in mind. They talked about sin. They talked about grace, but they didn't know it. They didn't know what sin was. All they saw sin as is in others. They didn't see it in themselves. They didn't know what grace was, the power by which an undeserving sinner is delivered? True faith knows sin. And true faith knows grace. And true faith then will not respect persons because true faith knows who I am and what I deserve. And true faith is directed toward the Lord of glory. I am to live for Him and I am to pursue that which is right and pleasing in His sight. The one walking by true faith is not living for self, but living for God. James is trying to stress throughout this book the manner in which true faith exercises itself. All kinds of people claim they have faith. But do they? Where is that faith? And James' point is that there's a faith that's counterfeit. They say they have faith, but there's no evidence of it by their walk, by their conduct. And so his point throughout the chapter is, faith, true faith, will reveal itself. It will demonstrate itself by works. If there are no works that are pleasing in God's eyes, then there's no assurance that there's faith. But where there is true faith, a faith by which one is joined to Jesus Christ, there will be fruit. And that fruit will be evident in a love for God and a love for the neighbor. That faith looks away from self to Jesus Christ. Faith does not seek self-prominence. Faith does not seek self-glory. Faith seeks the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And faith is willing to spend itself for the sake of others. You remember how Jesus displayed that true faith. He washed his disciples' feet. He was willing to give himself even to the most menial of tasks because that involved serving those whom the Father had given him. Notice that reference again to the Lord of glory in verse 1. That's important. God is teaching us that glory does not constitute or it's not found in earthly things. Glory does not rest in clothing or in money or in honor from an earthly perspective. Doesn't that lie at the heart of our respecter of persons? We want glory. We all lust after glory. And we believe that that glory comes from money or fame or honor. It comes from having the right people around us. We esteem those who are prominent because Their glory might become our glory. And God says, no. Glory is from the Lord. Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. And that glory is found through the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Glory is not found in gold. It's not found in silver. Glory is not found in social standing or in wealth. All that the earth has to offer cannot begin to compare to the glory that awaits the glory of the Lord. The wonder of salvation is that Jehovah God has given that glory to his children. Jehovah God has taken his own and he's exalted them to a glory that they cannot begin to fathom or understand. A glory that is so marvelous and so wondrous that I hath not seen nor ear heard. And God has taken us and he's given us that glory, that honor. Every last one of his children is given that honor and that glory. We overesteem then earthly honor, earthly fame because we lose sight of the true glory that is ours in Jesus Christ. God has taken the poor, the despised. He's taken those who are sinners, who are worthless, who are spiritually destitute in themselves. Those who have been treated bad have been despised by men. And he's taken them to his table of fellowship. He's taken them into communion and fellowship with him. He's adopted them into his family in Jesus Christ. He's taken those who had nothing and he's given them the highest honor a man, woman, young person could ever experience. He's made them his own children and esteemed them to glory. Now, from an earthly perspective, he makes some wealthy. He gives some positions of higher honor than others. He makes some poor. But none of these social standings are important when it comes to their place in his kingdom. It doesn't matter what one's social standing is. It doesn't matter whether one is married or not, whether one has children or not. It doesn't matter the circumstance or the situation of one's life. The gold rings, the fancy dresses, the nice suits, don't sway him. Our contacts in high places are meaningless to God. No flesh can glory in his presence. He wears the robe of righteousness. He has the gold rings of perfect fellowship. And he takes and makes his children now heirs of that glory. He embraces us in love and brings us to the fullness of that wonder this is why David repeatedly in the Psalms makes as his delight to dwell with the Saints who are the excellent of the earth they are the ones who have been exalted to glory they're the ones who know the wonder of God's grace in their hearts and they're the ones that I desire fellowship and communion with all respect of persons takes that glory away from the Lord Jesus Christ and tries to make the things of this earth more precious and valuable than that salvation which is in Jesus Christ. But in addition to that, why is this such a serious sin? All respect of persons is a violation of the law. The law requires that we love God and we love the neighbor as ourselves. Now sometimes we're tempted to think that our racial comments Perhaps our disparaging jokes, they're not so serious. And so easy it is to try to convince ourselves, like we do with all of our sin, that it's not, it's not that bad. We're really not serious about it. We're not really being respecters of persons. We try to justify the way in which we conduct ourselves. And the Jews of Jesus, they were no different. They felt that James was majoring in the minors here. James, quit making such a big deal about such little trivial matters. Don't make such a big deal about something so minor. James makes clear true faith walks according to all God's commandments. There's no distinction. And respecting persons then is not just bad manners, it's a violation of God's law. God commands us to embrace his family in love. God's taken us into that household, and within that household now, he requires that we live in fellowship and friendship, one with another, in Christ by his Spirit. And that we show grace, we show mercy, we show long-suffering and compassion toward those around us. We know the admonitions. As we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Galatians 6, verse 10. If we're judging men based on our first impression or based on what we observe or see about them, we're not walking in love. We're not carrying ourselves in accordance with the law. You can't say, I can be racist or I can be a respecter of persons, but I'm still going to maintain obedience to God the rest of my life. You've broken one of the chief commandments. And sin against one commandment makes one guilty of sin against all is the point here of James. But some say, but we're at liberty. We're free now. You don't understand what the law of liberty involves. As those who are free now, it doesn't matter how we conduct ourselves. James says in verse 12, you will be judged by that law of liberty. You don't understand what that law of liberty is. That law of liberty delivered you from selfishness. You can't justify selfishness as part of that law of liberty. You've been freed from selfishness. And the law of liberty now is such that you're free now to glorify God and to serve Him in everything that you do and in all that you pursue. The law of liberty frees you from being a respecter of persons. And the law of liberty directs you to Jesus Christ alone. Your salvation is found in Him. He's the one who accomplished this marvelous wonder on your behalf and you owe your all to Him. You are free from serving self and now you're to serve God. In all your life. And serving God, you love God and you love the neighbor as yourself. That walk in true faith is a walk in love for God's sake. It's not selfish, it's not trying to find what's in it for me. It's how can I exalt and magnify God? And how can I use the gifts that He's given me for the good of those around me? We live together as saints in that judgment of love. We live together toward other saints in that same judgment, regardless of what churches they might attend. Think of the canons of Dort expressing that teaching of Scripture in the third and fourth head, article 15. With respect to those who make an external profession of faith and live regular lives, we are bound after the example of the apostle to judge and speak of them in the most favorable manner. For the secret recesses of the heart are unknown to us. And as to others who have not yet been called, it's our duty to pray for them, to God, who calls the things that are not as if they were. But we are in no wise to conduct ourselves toward them with haughtiness, as if we had made ourselves to differ." As those who know the power of the gospel, we walk in love. Think of the judgment that was made concerning Jesus in Mark 12, verse 14. Thou carest for no man, and regardest not the person of man, but teachest the way of God in truth. Jesus was not swayed by men. He was not esteeming. He was not showing himself to be a respecter of persons, but he was teaching the way of God in truth, and he stood out. He was noticed because of that. The fact, beloved, that we are different from the world is a wonder of God's grace. It's not something for which we can take any credit. It's that which humbles us. What I am is all of grace. This is what Jehovah God has done for me by the power of His Spirit. And as such, then, I owe my all to him. Think of Romans 1, verse 14. We are debtors. Debtors both to the bond and to the free. Jesus admonished Peter feed the lambs and feed the sheep. No distinction. You need to feed the sheep, but you also care for the little children. The poor man, the rich man, on the same level. The influential president, the CEO on the same level as the laborer, spiritually. We're called to treat one another with that love and that care as fellow members of the body of Christ. And again, it doesn't matter our circumstance or situation. We don't look down on ourselves because of the unique place in which God puts us. Rather, we honor Him and we show forth His praise. It matters not if we feel as though we lack the glory, the honor that others have. It matters not whether God hasn't given us opportunity perhaps to serve on school board or in office as others have. Every one of his children bound by true faith to Jesus Christ in love walks and lives as members of Christ. And knowing the gospel and knowing our unworthiness, we seek to show forth his praise. We seek to honor him as we treat others in a manner that reflects that love and that care. When we are not treating others equally, we're then making a false statement concerning God and concerning ourselves. We're boasting in ourselves. We're assuming that our salvation is based on what I've done. And we're blaming God of being a respecter of persons. God chose me because I was better than that other one. We imply that we are able by our obedience and by our prominence and by our dedication to earn favor before God. And we imply the other person doesn't deserve favor because they've not been as diligent or as faithful. Beloved, coming to the table of the Lord this morning, we were reminded of our unworthiness. Of ourselves, we are nothing. Our salvation is all in Jesus Christ. And rejoice in the marvelous mercy that is ours in Him. Turn our focus away from self. Rejoice in the wonder of His love and His goodness. The brother may not smell good. The sister may not keep her home as well as you do. The skin color of the neighbor may be different from yours. Rejoice in the mercy and the love of God toward you in Jesus Christ. God has been merciful. God has looked upon me in love. He's taken me and He's exalted me to know a glory that is unspeakable. The judge did not hold me accountable for my sins. He forgave me and He continues to forgive me day in and day out. Rejoice in that mercy and in that love and conduct yourself then in a manner toward those around you in that spirit of humility and that spirit of love looking to Christ, the Lord of glory, who did not pursue self, but who pursued the will of his heavenly Father in love for us. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank thee for the wonder of the gospel. We thank thee for thy goodness toward us in esteeming and granting unto us that position of sons and daughters in Jesus Christ, giving us to know not only the Lord of glory, but the glory of that Lord worked in our heart as we belong to him by faith and strengthen our faith that we might conduct ourselves in a manner that reflects our wholehearted devotion to thee. Keep us from the selfishness, keep us from the greed, the covetousness of our natures and work in us that true love for thee and for one another. Amen. Amen.